Welcome to Protoss. This is a podcast that explores the pursuit of the kingdom. My name's Wayne. And I'm Steve. And over the last 17 episodes, if you've been along for the journey with us, we've been talking about what success looks like from a kingdom perspective. To help us understand kingdom success, we've explored important topics, including kingdom mission, vision, culture, and strategy. And these work for you, whether it's personal or whether you're in the corporate world. And we've also discussed the keys of the kingdom, understanding spiritual leadings, what faith is, also what faith in the financial realm looks like. Big topics. But today we're starting a new journey. In this and the following podcasts, we're taking a bit of a different tack to explore and better understand the nature of the kingdom. What do we mean by nature in inverted commas, Wayne? We're going to talk about the qualities of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the king of the kingdom the spiritual nature of the kingdom and the spiritual realm. We'll discuss how we connect with the spiritual realm and and how religion distorts the kingdom message. We'll touch on how to understand the unseen with the seen. We'll even call on science to help us glean a greater understanding of the nature of the kingdom by exploring the reality of dimensionality. Now, some may think science and kingdom are incompatible, particularly as the scientific method includes testable and repeatable observations. My position is truth is truth. The Bible has truth. I think we can discover truth. But science is concerned, as you said, Steve, with what's observable, repeatable and predictable in the natural realm. Mm -hmm. However, the spiritual realm is not repeatable and predictable from a basis of the natural realm. You can never make a science of the kingdom because science is only concerned with the natural. Yeah, I agree. And I'm reminded of a quote by Isaac Newton that states, gravity explains emotions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. Yes, and uh, my old mate Albert Einstein said, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. And I like that we can finally get to dig in on your first career as as a scientist to better understand the nature of the kingdom. How did your spiritual journey actually begin? I must say, Steve, I've been out of that world for 30 years. I couldn't regard myself as a current expert. I encountered the kingdom of heaven without being a seeker of God. I hear these great stories of people on a spiritual journey. I was not. I was uh, midway through a doctorate in atomic physics, and uh, I had resigned my scholarship, wanting to change the course of my life. I was in my bedroom one night. The next morning, I was going to accept a job off on the other side of the, the country, I prayed at what I now would regard as a prayer, sort of a somewhat dubious prayer, but <laughs> I had some friends who were believers that were telling me about this and that. And, and so I just said to the air, I said, well, God, if you're real, you need to show me by tomorrow morning, because if you don't, I am never going to pray again. Wow, that's a pretty bold move. Yeah, it's not something as a pastor, preacher, Bible college teacher I've, I've ever recommended to people. I don't see that really modeled anywhere. But I certainly didn't know what I was in for by giving God an ultimatum because the moment the last word left my lips, I had an experience which completely overwhelmed me. I couldn't explain it. It took me time to get the language to explain what happened. But I was overwhelmed in my body and my mind from negativity to pure joy and lightness. And people who saw me even said that I was shining, like light was shining from me. And I'm just going for the next day and a half. I really had a taste of the kingdom of heaven, but I had no idea exactly what what it was all about. You actually experienced a spiritual transformation without the understanding of kingdom and what was going on. It would have been 
I don't know if scary is the word, but it would have certainly been challenging. So how did you feel in the gaps between the known and the unknown there? Well, it kind of demands a response, doesn't it? Because it definitely. <laughs> you know, people sort of say, how can you be a scientist and a believer? Well, I, I can't be a believer without being a scientist. Because if I was to ignore this very important data point, I would be denying input, which I need to sort of kind of understand. So typically I went to church, I went to a new Christians class. I studied the Bible for a whole year for four hours a day. Wow. I went to ministry training colleges. I started and was founder and principal of ministry colleges. I planted churches. I started businesses. I was involved with Christian business groups. And over the journey, I had a lot of subsequent spiritual experiences, being healed, being used in healing, some powerful, a lot of stuff, not many more subtle. But I'd been in full-time ministry, really, for over 25 years. When I realized I actually knew very little about the kingdom, I knew a lot about church. Mm-hmm. church leadership, church planning, all that stuff related to what we would regard as church life. I can understand that. It's been my experience too that people can be believers and can be entrenched in churches, which is great, without the understanding of what the kingdom really is. I do say this without judgment. To use an analogy, might be a bit of a lame one, but you don't have to understand physics to drive a car. However, if you do, you can certainly better look after yourself and those that travel with you. <laughs> If something goes wrong, you might be able to fix it up a little bit. Or what happens when you hit a wall? <laughs> After about 25 years, I've come to this realisation. I didn't really know a lot about the kingdom. I've been associating with people who are about church, church planning, church growth, and in a particular denomination. So within a culture, within a history, within a long period, which had defined what kingdom was. And so I'd use the word kingdom. My understanding of the kingdom was very, very focused into particular culture and experience. So what would you do? I was founding a new ministry training college, and I decided to introduce a course called The Church in the Kingdom. I began to read the scriptures afresh, especially the four Gospels, Mm -hmm. and really take notice of what Jesus said about the kingdom. I had some interest also because with my background as a physicist, I was looking to understand what was the nature of the spiritual world, because there was a present reality around about us that we could tap into or not tap into. And it was intriguing to me because truth is truth. It's there. It exists. What is it like? How do we access it? So I think researching and preparing that course was really a foundation for everything I'm doing now. I'm sure that was quite an awakening. In that study process, I would suggest it's really one of those situations where the answers are actually hidden in plain sight. In fact, they're not even really hidden for us, are they? And what I mean there is you think of the phrase born again, for example, it appears only once in the Bible, I think, and Jesus only refers to the church itself twice. Yes, uh, that's right. But the word kingdom appears well over 100 times in the Gospels alone. Not even hidden in plain sight, just plain sight. Just plain sight. The scriptures say over and over again, including Mark 1.14, that Jesus' message was entirely about the kingdom. That was his purpose. And he was regarded as very good news. Yeah, let me just quote that scripture. So Mark 1.14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. There you go. He just banged on about it nonstop. Even after he died and was resurrected, Acts 1 verse 3 says that he come and spoke to the disciples things concerning the kingdom for 40 days, 40 days of teaching. Okay, hang on. Let me just go to Acts 1 3. Some people don't believe this, so you've got to, it's good to refer to the scripture. It here. is. It is. Bear with me. Okay. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Wow, yeah. there it is again. So it's three and a half years with them of teaching and, and disciple making and parable saying wasn't enough. Another 40 day top up on the kingdom of God. Basically, so, I died, I'm back. You're all blown away by that. Now it's time for a 40-day intensive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is second year of college. Yeah. And so I know for myself, I couldn't bang on for 40 days about it. And no. so I, I still got a lot to learn. And there's enough within Scripture itself to keep us learning. Some people desire to base their life on their individual experience. And I think individual experience is crucial, but we need to understand it in relation to what the Scriptures say. I believe we need to keep coming back to the Scriptures to understand more about the kingdom. Now, Christianity as a religion is well known, how churches work is well known, church leadership, church health and church growth are all intensely studied. But despite that, Wayne, most people know little about the kingdom. Yeah, that's my experience. It's highlighted to me now as I go back into that, the world where it's all about church growth and church health. And when the terms kingdoms used, it's kind of just a justification rather than actual pursuit. But you look at church history the Apostles' Creed doesn't mention the kingdom. Mm. The Athanasian Creed doesn't mention it. The Nicene Creed mentions it once. And there's been real little focus on the kingdom throughout church history. And yet, for those of us who believe in intelligent design and that the designer became like us as the Son of God to live amongst us, and importantly, whilst living as human, he gave us all our corporate mission that those who have faith in who he is and that mission has stood the test of time from when he gave it to us two millennia ago. And it's a simple prayer which stated, thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. We will look at points in this next series of podcasts about how the kingdom of heaven has already come to earth as examples of what heaven on earth life looks like. Jesus wants us to know what the kingdom is like and our role in it, in that kingdom mission in helping people to enter. In helping us to understand what the kingdom is like, Jesus spoke so many parables. It's a really great idea to read through, especially the book of Matthew, and to look at when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And so, say in Matthew 18, 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And Matthew 22, 2 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. And Matthew 24, 14, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He's telling us how the kingdom operates so that we can learn how to engage and to enter ourselves. He talked about the nature of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, how to lead in the kingdom. And consequently, I've made now my life's pursuit of teaching people about the kingdom. All my courses kind of had the word kingdom in it just to increase this focus. One of the parables Jesus told about the kingdom is about a landowner hiring people, which is of particular relevance to me. Yeah, that's right. That was Matthew 20, verse 1. We covered in detail in episode 15 on financial faith, actually. Look, just a quick summary. That's the one where the landowner employed people early in the day. He then employed them a couple of hours later. He employed more people over the whole course of the day, right up to probably an hour before knock-off time. And then he paid them all the same amount of money, whether they worked an hour or whether they worked 10 hours. And some people yeah. got offended by that. That's right, Stephen. And Jesus told this parable for us to know what the kingdom is like. This has special significance for me. It took me many months of difficulty, I mean, my fault, not God's, and dialogue with him to learn something from it. I'm talking about this because although podcasts and courses and books about the kingdom are excellent, teaching alone doesn't transform us. We need to dialogue with the Lord and with others about it, as we covered in the previous podcast uh, around coaching and, and mentoring and doing. 
Luke says in the book of Acts that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Yeah, that's good advice. And we've discussed in other podcasts this word tribulation here, and that means internal pressure, which can be the impetus for us to drive our personal development. In Romans, it says tribulation builds perseverance and perseverance builds character and character hope, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and there are probably other parables that have a greater significance for other people, but this one has been significant for me. And I was praying for finances and when I was praying for money, he said, why are you praying for your for money when you have money? As I reflected, I realized I had money, I had equity, I wasn't going to go without a meal. Then I started praying for work and he said, why are you praying for work when I've given you as much work as you can do? And so as I reflected, I had work, it just wasn't income producing work. And so I thought I'll trap him. And this is a couple month process of me understanding what God is saying to me. It's not like an instant where I just know his voice so clearly I can just. <laughs> so I'm really summarizing a couple of months down here. When I thought I'd pray for income and I prayed for income, he said, why do you need income when you have work and money? And so that kind of stopped me in my tracks a bit. Yeah, pure genius. And uh, his purpose in that conversation was to separate work and money for me. So I, I had the starting point for what the kingdom is like. And Jesus said in this parable clearly that it's not about a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not what it's like. The kingdom is not based on, on income. You don't say, make a deal with the Lord, I'll work for you and you'll do this for me. That's not the way it works at all. No, that's true. I had learned the wrong principle that Smell Dad taught me. And as well, well when he was taught, fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Yeah, and the kingdom isn't like that at all, let's face it. Uh, it's not. It's, that's, that's the whole striving and works expecting that reward. Actually, I want to tell you something which if you embrace it, it's going to redirect how you live your life. While he's saying this parable, he says just, just be available. Be available to be called into action whenever he asks you to do and just do it and he'll look after you at the end of the day. Yep. It's about obedience and blessing, not about work and money. And that process was about for me. And, and when we're learning what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's not just a matter of listening to this podcast or reading and saying, oh, there's a principle. Yep. It's about actually going through the process of tribulation. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom. Yep. And really, that principle is embedded in us by our experience. What this has actually enabled me to do is to do the things he asked me without regard for their financial return, and then he'll look after me. There'd be many people who'd suggest that this is not a wise way to live from a worldly perspective. If our foundation is wisdom, it isn't. But the scriptures say our foundation should be faith. Foundation should be what is God speaking to us about? Now, wisdom is added to that, but... If wisdom is the basis, then no, we don't live this way. It doesn't mean that it's easy to walk this talk. It doesn't mean that I once learned it, now I'm just, it's easy sailing and I'm living with this confidence 100%. It's reminding myself, I've learned this and I'm going to walk this way in terms of, Lord, what are you asking me to do? What should I be charging? Should it be free? Hmm. What money? What profit do you want me to be making? And we went through in that financial faith podcast, a passage from James 5, which says, it's if the Lord wills, we will work earn, and earn profit. And so what is, the, what is the Lord's will? And this can be a daily challenge, but it brings the truth of the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, we need to trust in God, not in worldly treasures. There's always something we should trust in him for on a daily basis. As every believer's life is governed by the same mission of bringing heaven to earth, each of us should understand what is it we're trying to bring, where is it we're trying to bring it from, and to who, as well as exactly how we should be trying to bring it. Exactly. And uh, we're, we're looking here at the nature of the kingdom in this podcast and in a whole series of podcasts from this point. The, the meaning of kingdom is, is a sovereignty, or, uh, an authority, uh, both in the New and Old Testaments. It's a dominion. It's not a democracy. It's not the military. 
No, it's a, certainly not communism, and it's not a business with an organisational structure either. No, it has a ruler, it has reign, it has authority. There's a couple of definitions that when I started my new journey of understanding the kingdom that really started me off, I read some books and watched some videos of two guys, one E. Stanley Jones and another guy called Miles Munro, and they have definitions which are helpful. E. Stanley Jones says that the kingdom of God is God's total order expressed as realm and reign in the individual and in society and which is to replace the unworkable world order with God's order in the individual and in society. That's E. Stanley Jones. He wrote a great book on the kingdom. Miles Monroe is a Bahamian church leader. Go onto YouTube and put Miles Monroe in there. His definition is of the kingdom was uh, the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose and intent, producing a culture of value, morals and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature for his citizens. Now, I quote them here because this is really where I started and started to think about it a bit more deeply. These guys have had a whole journey and they pass on the baton to, to us and those listening and say, well, they put considerable thought into what they're understanding the kingdom. They're a good place to, to build from. They are helpful definitions, and most of us are not familiar with how kingdoms work, particularly those of us living in Western civilizations in this bold experiment called democracy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the concept of kingdom in its original pure sense has mostly been lost to our modern world, particularly in the past few generations, because all the prototypes have either been destroyed or abandoned. In the kingdom, one person sits at the top of the tree. They rule with all authority. There's a king. We honor the king. There's his territory. There's the culture of the kingdom. There's law and constitution of the king, there's a citizenship and there are keys to the kingdom. You know, some of the more, what I would call the legal aspects of a kingdom, Miles Munro's book, Kingdom Principles, covers a lot of. We're not going to look at those sort of things. He would do, do a lot better than me. We're going to look at more of the spiritual nature of the kingdom as we go on. So if the kingdom law and constitution interests you, then track down that book. And also your course on Keys to the Kingdom, which covers how we enter the kingdom or enter further more and more all the time, and you can find that at kingdomculture.com.au or on youtheme.com. The preceding quotes, Steve, are helpful definitions of God's intent for the kingdom of heaven on earth, but they don't tell us about the nature of the kingdom. Now, when God expresses his total order or when the king influences his territory, what are the characteristics of that order and what is the nature of that influence? To understand these things, we should really understand the essential nature of the kingdom, and we're going to spend the next dozen or so podcasts looking at this. That's great. I notice in Scripture it refers to both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. So what's the difference? Why has it got different interpretations or different titles yeah. there? It's a good question because understanding this point helps us to really gather information from the Scriptures about the kingdom of God and about heaven. The reality is that the scripture uses these terms interchangeably. There can be a long explanation of this or a short one. We'll go with the short one here. Sounds good. <laughs> Just looking at this simply from Matthew and Mark's account of the same message of Jesus. In Matthew 4.17, Matthew reports that Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Mark reported that, Jesus preached the kingdom of God is at hand. This is just one of many kind of examples. Yeah, so it was probably who the audience was they were writing for. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are synonymous. That's an important point because some people go to great lengths to attempt to prove that this isn't the case, but they are. That's right. It's helpful to know that these two terms are interchangeable because whatever the scriptures say about the nature of God's kingdom, it's also talking about the nature of heaven and vice versa. That's very significant because it's something that we are able to enter into in this present life. His desire is for us to experience heaven on earth. And as Matthew 6.10 states, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That takes away the notion that heaven is something we only experience once we permanently depart this planet, right? It's your will be done. Absolutely. And the Gospel of Matthew alone describes the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven, and he uses the term 32 times, and it's most likely because his readers were predominantly of Jewish heritage, and using the term kingdom of God would be harder for them to hear. Incidentally, that's also why I prefer the term kingdom of heaven, because whenever you use the term God, it, it, it kind of conjures up a whole different things in different people. And say, say kingdom of heaven, they kind of don't really know exactly what they think you're talking about. So true. It's uh, Some people have a warped or damaged view due to their own experiences and perspective of what's shaped them. And I've met lots of people who have this warped view of God that it messes with them even if they carry a lot of faith. You know, I've had discussions with people who attest to be spiritual and believe in some sort of universal power, Mm. but are not comfortable in calling that power God. So Mm. I can see that kingdom of heaven can be more palatable for people to understand there is this real thing that's a spirituality. And sometimes when you go about talking about God, people think, well, why are you the authority? You're talking about heaven. Well, everybody's keen on heaven. (laughs) Sounds heavenly. It does. As we look at the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, it's really important to note, I think, that there are three perfect manifestations of the kingdom of earth on heaven mentioned in Scripture. And we can use these to help our understanding. Firstly, in the Garden of Eden, in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, it was a perfect environment of heaven on earth for Adam and Eve. They had an uncumbered relationship with God and that full provision and perfect unity in their relationship. It talks about provision and comfort and human relationships as an important expression of heaven on earth. Secondly, we look at the life of Jesus on earth and it shows what a life fully operating in the mission looks like, living by revelation, power, compassion and love. And so we can look for it as an individual on his example of what a, a heaven on earth life looks like. And I think the third important example is in Revelation 21 and 22 when the new Jerusalem descends from the third heaven, which it is at the moment, onto earth. And I think this word descends is an interesting, it's more like it's revealed. I think it's a better word mm. because it's actually heaven is around us. We'll get onto that. We'll get into dimensionality. Oh, in yes. Podcast. <laughs> We've got to wait for that one. And this talks, this talks about a very large community. This is a perfect environment for a very large group of people mm. to inhabit together. Which is interesting, you know, when you, when you read the stats on what that new Jerusalem looks like, you actually have to get into the maths and understand how many people it can house. And mm. when you think the Population Reference Bureau estimates that 107 billion people in total have mm. lived since the first man walked on this earth, you've got to do the maths and realise that New Jerusalem can easily hold multiples of the total number of people that have ever lived, which is quite amazing. In fact, Steve, I've done the maths. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have known. The New Jerusalem is a square with sides of 12,000 furlongs according to Revelation 21.16, which is around 2,200 kilometres. So it covers an area of 4.8 million square kilometres. Wow. It has the same height as it does length. Mm-hmm. Now, it might not be a cube. That looks a bit more like the Borg from, from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's the Borg. No. No. But... We can't assume it's cute, but it's got it's got the same height, 2,200 kilometres. So give it some scale. If the land was divided into 1,000 square metre lots, there'd be enough room for 48 billion people to have a lottage. Wow. Bit of a scoop here. Jeremiah tells us that one-third of the world's population will be saved. That's right. That's hidden in plain sight. So Jeremiah 13, everyone looks it up to him. But if it was an apartment block, now I'm not saying it is an apartment block because that's also a bit Borg-like, <laughs> there'd be enough room for... 
1,000 trillion people with each person having a 1,000 square meter apartment with 10 meter high ceilings. Mm-hmm. So that's just some scale. I mean, Jesus said in, in John 14 too that in my father's house there are many mansions. There's plenty of room for a lot of mansions. Its size tells me that it's not an exclusive club for a few hundred thousand people, as some religions will promote. The kingdom, it's been created for us. And in Matthew 25, it's been prepared for us from, from the foundation of the world, Matthew 25, 34. And Luke 12, 32 says it's Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. It's not something it's held in secret. It's given grudgingly. It's, it's prepared for us, for us to enter and, and enjoy the blessings of the kingdom. It's his plan. It's been his plan throughout human history, and we've seen it just in the three examples in Scripture. It's our role to understand the kingdom and to use what Jesus said about it and his perfect life to model how we enter and how we help others to enter. We don't create the kingdom. It's already there. It's already been prepared. We just enter. It's not a matter of us trying to create something here on earth. That's not our role to do. Mm-hmm. It's to help people to enter another pre-existent reality. It's, a, it's pre-existing. It's here. Yes, so the kingdom has been created for us to enter it. So we have examples of the kingdom coming to earth through the life of Jesus, the Garden of Eden, and the New Jerusalem. Yeah. And our role is to enter the kingdom, and to enter, we need to understand what the kingdom's like. Yeah. Perhaps it's a good time for us to stop and, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. I think to ask the Lord what aspect of the kingdom he wants to further reveal to us. And my experience and journey has been it's better to really experience the embedding of the nature of the kingdom and how it works rather than just going on a learning spree. We may have already been drawn to an aspect of the kingdom just to dialogue with the Lord about it. Maybe we're in the middle of a journey that I had, a journey of tribulation where it's through many tribulations we're entering. Perhaps we should read Revelation 21 and 22. To me, this has been particularly helpful. This aspect of heaven, the new Jerusalem, is a part of heaven and it's revealed on earth. It gives us an image and a picture of God's purpose, if you like, the nature of what he wants to reveal on earth now. Yeah, I think that's a great exercise. Some careful reflection and prayer, and to do that review will probably help in that reflection and prayer. And that's probably where we're going to leave it for today. So I'm really looking forward to exploring this subject, the nature of the kingdom, further over the next few podcasts, and in particular looking forward to getting into some of the science behind that nature. Yes, you've been listening to Protoss, the podcast that explores the pursuit of the kingdom. We look forward to talking again with you soon, particularly with that dimensionality, which really helps us to understand how we engage with the nature of the kingdom. And until then, I'm your host, Wayne Back. And I'm Steve Kyle. And we both wish you every success in your pursuit of the kingdom. Mm